John Wilner and I disagree on who's going to play for the Pac-12 Tournament Championship this week. We talk about it on an all-new episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Kanzano. I am here with John Wilner. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. You can read me at johnkanzano.com. Grab a free subscription or paid subscription or whatever works for you. It always works for me. John Wilner, the Bay Area News Group guru and superstar. You can read him at pac12hotline.com. I am fresh off a few days in Las Vegas on the Strip watching... Uh, Pac-12 basketball and uh, everything else that goes on in Vegas uh, this time of year. But women's tournament gave some real surprises. It was a five-seed UCLA against a seven-seed Washington State in the title game. And uh, Cinderella walked off with the automatic bid as Washington State beat its third straight ranked opponent to win the Pac-12 championship. Wilner, what did you make of that? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. The fact... it's so surprising to not see Stanford in the in the championship game, right? I mean, you just don't usually see that kind of you know parity in, in on the women's side, right? Uh, it was I thought it was it was great, and it caps. I mean, they're still going, right? And the men's still going, but for Washington State, one, one heck of a uh, a football and basketball cycle, right? I mean. Football seven wins bowl game, men's basketball. They're the five seed in the tournament in the men's tournament, and the women's side they win the Pac-12 championship, and that's for a school that basically has got the lowest budget operating budget in the conference. And we should do a, we should do a, an episode this spring just talking about like punching above your weight and punching above your budget and the Cougars do it as well as anybody in the conference for sure. In terms of, you know, winning per dollar spent, they, they do a fantastic job. You got to give massive credit to Pat Chun, the athletic director at Washington state. He's done a really nice job. I mean, back up and look at, you know, the fiasco, everything they went through in football with Nick Rolovich and then, having to, uh, you know, promote and support Jake Dickert. Uh, I mean, I think they withstood all that. But how about the hire that Chun made in women's basketball? I mean, literally uh, made a really good hire. It's put his program in position to succeed. And I think when you look at the job that Cammie Etheridge has done at Washington State, I mean, you know, getting to the championship game as a seven seed, never before has that happened in the Pac-12 tournament, and then winning the damn thing, uh, really uh, magical run for Washington State, and and it, it shows you some of the depth of the Pac-12. Yeah, well, I mean, the Pac-12 is as deep on the women's basketball side as as any conference, right? And it's funny because that that speaks to a, an ongoing topic, right? The Pac-12 networks. It has been as good for women's basketball it has as it has been bad for football because it's really helped other programs because you know you. You get the recruits to stay on the West Coast because their families can see them play. And uh, you can you can chart the trajectory of Pac-12 women's basketball to the creation of the Pac-12 networks. We, you know, as much as we criticize it, 
it has done uh, wonders for that sport. You know, obviously the production is very good and other Olympic sports. It has helped all of that. It just hasn't helped uh, the budgets and it hasn't helped football and men's basketball. For this women's tournament, it's held at what used to be the Mandalay Bay Event Center. It's inside the hotel and casino there. It's now called like the Michelob Ultra Arena or whatnot. But as you're walking towards the arena doors, you start to see Pac-12 branding, right? And it looks like, hey, there's a big deal. There's something going on down this hallway. And then you get inside the arena, and the Pac-12 Networks really is a tentpole in that arena. Like, they have the staging of sort of that panel discussion that they that they uh, you know partake in between games or in the run-up of games and halftime of games. And there's a bright lights, and then there's a whole bank of Pac-12 Networks employees that are all working there. And so you can tell that the Pac-12 Networks is very much a part of the Pac-12 women's basketball scene. So now I'm turning around and I'm going right back for the men's tournament. I'll be there, what, Wednesday through Saturday night's championship game. And so let me ask you this, Wilner. You and I will both be there. You know, what uh, What are you expecting or what are you looking forward to most? You know, the one thing you maybe that you want to see or you want to learn in, in this men's tournament. Well, I think to me, the biggest question is whether Jalen Clark's going to play for UCLA. And if not, how extensive is that injury? He's a key piece for them, right? He, Tiger, Campbell, and I mean, I guess that, I mean, that's their, their main trio. He's the best defensive player in the conference. Is he going to be able to play in this tournament? How will the, and how will the Bruins respond without him? And what's his availability for the NCAAs? And crucially, how will the selection committee deal with his injury when it seeds the Bruins, right? If he doesn't play, that will affect their thinking. If he does play, that'll affect, you know, that's going to be real interesting because uh, UCLA's, if they can win the Pac-12, they're in line for a number one seed, but the Clark thing is, is certainly kind of an X factor. So that's number one for me. What, what are you looking for? My questions, my big questions are all for Arizona because we think about UCLA and Arizona as the tent poles of this conference, but Arizona has six losses this season. All six of those losses came in Pac-12 play. And they weren't – some of those losses weren't good. Like, you know, they lose to Washington State in a in a game that was weird. They lost to Oregon at a time when Oregon was a little bit up and a little bit down. And, you know, uh, you you look around and you go, okay, wait a minute. Um, you know, your, your two powers in this conference, the two teams that everybody would pencil maybe possibly to play into the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight in their NCAA tournament bracket are UCLA and maybe Arizona if they're built that way. But Arizona has shown and demonstrated this season that it can lose games that you expect them to walk through and win. And so I'm wondering, will they get to Friday or will somebody get them you know, on their way to the championship game? And that is a big question. I think my big questions are for Arizona. Yeah, and they're, they're probably, well, we'll see what happens in Stanford, Utah. But Stanford just beat Arizona and they could be playing them again in the quarterfinals, Utah beat Arizona. Now that was in early December. They they'll so Arizona's going to play a team in the quarters that has already beaten them. Uh, I, I do. I wonder too about them. You know, five of those losses are to teams that either are on the NCAA bubble or are not going to make the tournament. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, especially their guard play. That's to me. That's where they're they're weak. Obviously, they lost a bunch of NF, uh, NBA talent. But the perimeter is where I think they're going to have to pick it up and they're going to have to get tougher. Uh, Tommy Lloyd even said that they got to get tougher and they got to be able to make plays on the perimeter. 
How big of a deal do you think it was for Oregon to get the four seed in this men's Pac-12 tournament? They they uh, get the, the Cal and Stanford uh, back-to-back to finish the season. They grab the four seed. Given that the middle of this conference is really fluid in sort of this herd that, uh, you know, nobody has really emerged as a power, how important is it to get that first round by in your mind, Wilner? Yeah, you know, I— I've thought about this a bunch over the years. To me, the 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 time at the buy really comes in handy, or or the point at which playing on Wednesday starts to really take its toll is Friday, because then you're in the semis, and if if it's a, a Wednesday, a team that played on Wednesday, that's their third straight game. I think that's where you really see it. Uh, I don't think it's a big deal for a team who, that plays on Wednesday to then turn around and play Thursday. I don't think it's a huge advantage to the team with the bye, but then you get to Friday and that's where the the toll I think physically really comes in. So for Oregon, to me, you know, they were going to play, they were going to get matched up either whether they were four or five, right? Washington state, Oregon, ASU, the the big thing's going to be the semis and, and that their matchup against UCLA and, and having not played on Wednesday, I think would give Oregon a, a much better chance to win that game. Oregon has been so frustrating to watch this season. And and again, they've lost more games to injury. More rotation players have missed games for Oregon than any team in the conference. And yet Dana Altman, here he is with a puncher's chance in this tournament. And Oregon just seems to show up here every couple of few years with a lot to play for. They are, you know, uh, as you see them right now, a team that at best is on the bubble for the tournament. They need to do something here. They have to be hungry. And unlike, you know, UCLA and Arizona, uh, you know, they're not in the NCAA tournament and and just worried about their seeding. And so keep an eye on Oregon in this tournament. I think, you know, USC, Arizona State, um, you know, Utah, even at different points of the season, I've looked at them and I have all thought, hey, they're playing great basketball at different points, a couple games here, a couple games there. But Oregon really hasn't put it together until I saw them down the stretch when they had to win in order to grab the four seed. And they played a lot like a team. And we see this in Major League Baseball with the wildcard teams, teams that are playing to get into the playoffs. Uh, The Ducks were playing to get that four seed. And, you know, they had a little tournament mentality down the stretch. And so uh, keep an eye on them in this tournament because I look at, USC, Arizona State, Oregon, like if you're not picking one of the favorites, UCLA or or Arizona, um, somebody in that group isn't a bad pick. Doesn't it seem to you like Dana Altman's message is just not, it's not sticking the way it has to me uh, in past years. I don't think it stuck last year either. It just doesn't seem like the guys, the, the players are responding to what he wants to do with the consistency that they used to. A hundred percent. And and I put that on the players, right? In years past, we've seen players like Peyton Pritchard. We've seen players like Dylan Brooks, Jordan Kent, Tyler Dorsey, uh, Chris Duarte. And we've seen those kinds of players, and they had a little more dog in them. Like, those were guys that would, you know, pound their palms of their hands on the floor and play some defense and get a stop and, you know, will a team to victory. And, and I'm not sure that Dana Allman's got that kind of player right now on the floor. And Vale Dante's been great. Will Richardson's a really talented player, but you know he's not—he's not a dog in that way. And 
you know, I think Dan Allman's really excited about the the class, the incoming recruiting class he's got, because I think those guys will compete. You haven't seen anything that indicates he may be thinking of hanging it up. I mean, you never say never, but I would be really surprised by it. He's got a great incoming class, including, uh, you know, an in-state player, Jackson Shellstead, the kid who outplayed Bronny James in the Les Schwab Invitational. Um, you know, he's got a great class coming in. And, and uh, you know, what else is Dana Allman going to do? So, no, I think... I think he sticks around to see how this turns out because I think he's got a class coming in that I know. I think he knows he can make a run with. Gotcha. Uh, and the thing about Oregon is, and those teams you mentioned, uh, the, this is not a good conference. Obviously, the, the, the non-conference performance was poor, only getting three, four teams in the NCAAs. I keep thinking about the fact it is bad on offense. I mean, the metrics say it. Your eyeballs say it. There are most of the teams are bad on offense, and Oregon is the exception within that. You know, Arizona is obviously very good. UCLA is very good. Oregon is the exception within that group of you know ASU, uh, Washington State, Utah, Colorado, Washington. They can score. They got players who can put it in the basket. And then when you play a neutral court NBA arena, right, the, the shooting background is totally different. It is harder to score. It's harder to hit your perimeter shots. The fact that Oregon's got some guys that can put it in the basket, I think, gives them an advantage over, you know, the that big middle, so to speak, of the conference. Arizona State was a team that I thought early on could be dangerous. And I went to Tempe to see them play, and I saw a very frustrated Bobby Hurley in my time there. And I saw them play UCLA, and I saw them play USC. And I think that is where sort of where Arizona State runs into, uh, you know, depth that it can't handle. And, you know, it sort of gets out of its depth when it plays against the teams that are above it in in the standings. But Arizona State wants to press you. They want to pressure you. They want to force mistakes. Um, You know, I look at them and I thought that they could be really dangerous this year, but they struggle a little bit when they get in games against teams that are taller than them. And they struggle a little bit to shoot, and uh, it's it's hammered them at different times. But I thought they could be really dangerous come tournament time. And now I'm I'm you know I think they're good, and I think they could knock somebody out you know in a given day. Obviously, we saw them get Arizona at the end of the regular season, but but I don't know. I don't know if they're capable of getting to the title game and winning this thing. And and they're interesting. Their situation is interesting too because. You know, we're talking about them as an NCAA bubble team. And a big part of that is because they wanted Arizona, right? Uh, and they wanted Arizona on a 60-foot heave. And it kind of reflects the very subjective nature of this whole tournament selection process when a 60-foot heave going in or going out can have what seems to be a, a fairly uh, impactful uh, resonance on a, a single team's fate, right? I mean, that's going to be, uh, if they get in, it, that Arizona game is a big reason why, and they won that on a 60-foot heave. Look, if you're building a case for Arizona State, you start it with the fact that they're going to play Oregon State in the opening round. I mean, it's it's not Cal, but, you know, it's, it's as uh, easy a first-round game as you can get. Apologies to Oregon State fans, but Bobby Hurley's team is just going to be too much for Oregon State in that opening round. And, but but if they get by Oregon State, they'll encounter USC. Now, I saw that exact matchup. And Andy Enfield, all he did at USC is he went into a timeout about, you know, the first, first media timeout, came out in a zone. 
And Arizona State never shot him out of the zone. And it was a long night for Arizona State. So keep an eye on that. If if USC doesn't play zone early in that game, I would be very surprised by it. Well, they got, you know, that ASU-USC game Saturday night was not close until it was super close, right? ASU made that big run in the last five, six minutes. And and that's really in the 80 minutes that they have played, uh, that ASU and USC have played each other, really just those last six minutes of the second game did ASU kind of, you know, go toe-to-toe with them. So it'll be interesting to see if they do meet in the quarters, you know, are we going to get the first 74 minutes? Or are we going to get the last six and have it go really go down to the wire? It could be a really good game. I, I think uh, both the the Washington State, if if the assuming the Cougars advance, right, Washington State, Oregon, and ASU USC both could be very good game. Looking way ahead here, let's look to Friday in the semifinal matchups. I'm seeing number four Oregon against number one UCLA in the top of the bracket on Friday in the one semifinal, and then on the bottom of the bracket, I'm going to say number two Arizona gets to the semifinal. And they're going to get there against either Arizona State or USC. And that Arizona State-USC game, again, I've seen this twice. And I like USC more than I like Arizona State. But if USC doesn't show up healthy and ready to play, Arizona State could get them. And we could see a rematch of that Arizona-Arizona State game that was just fantastic a couple of weeks ago. So uh, that's what I see. Yeah. And the other interesting dynamic is the crowd, right? Because Arizona will have, you know, tons of support every game they play, but the LA schools, you know, they don't have as much crowd support on Thursday as they do on Friday because it's like all their fans, you know, they're done at noon on Friday and they make the drive to Vegas to get there for the semis. So so if you're going to, I felt like if you're going to get an LA school, uh, Thursday's the day to get them because they they have a little bit of a home atmosphere on on Friday. Now, if it's Arizona against SC, right, Arizona's going to have a home atmosphere no matter what. But uh, certainly the USC and UCLA fans show up, you know, in force for the semis, but not the quarters. For people who haven't been to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 basketball tournament, it's basically a fest, this huge festival, right? But it's not alone. The WCC tournament's going on cross town in Vegas. Mountain West Conference tournament is going on. So you have all this basketball going on and a lot of electricity because there are automatic bids to the NCAA tournament at stake. Uh, I'm looking at the opening round games, though, here. And uh, a game that jumps out at me is Stanford and Utah on Wednesday. Stanford found something in the middle to late part of the season Stanford can really shoot it and they I do think have a chance to get by Utah in the opening round and they'd run into Arizona on Thursday if they do that they can shoot they lead the conference in three-point shooting in in league games they kind of shorten their rotation Uh, they don't really have an elite point guard that's the big missing piece but they've got guys that can shoot they beat Arizona uh, they beat Oregon. They beat Utah. They beat Utah in Salt Lake City a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think Stanford, if you're looking for a dark horse, to me, uh, Stanford would be the pick out of that bottom half there because they should be confident against Utah and then against uh, against Arizona if they end up playing the Cats. So that they're, they're a team to watch, I think, 
uh, if you're looking you know, looking for somebody that's not a top four seed to maybe make a little noise. All right, let's get down to the details. Give me your championship game prediction. Who's playing? And then give me a dark horse that might be a bit of a surprise. Like we see Washington State winning the damn thing on the women's side as a seven seed. So give me a uh, a, a lower seeded team that you think could rattle around this tournament and make some real noise. Oh well, championship game matchup. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be real creative and go UCLA Arizona. Um, and I don't. I mean, at this point, I'm gonna assume Jalen Clark is not playing. Uh, and part of that's because UCLA is in a great position for the NCAA's. And you know, if they don't have, they don't have to have them. If the worst case for them is they're gonna be a number two seed. Uh, so I'm kind of assuming at this point Clark's not playing, and he's obviously critical for them. So I kind of lean into picking Arizona for that reason. Uh, and if you're talking about a surprise, you know, Washington State's played great there. I think they've won six in a row. Uh, they have got, you know, between T.J. Bamba and Muhammad uh, Gay, they've got an inside-outside combo that is, you know, playing very well. And I, I kind of like the Cougars as a – now, I don't think they're going to beat UCLA, but I could see them beating the Ducks. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think Oregon is going to upset UCLA in the semifinals. So I think Oregon's going to get to the title game as a four seed, channeling a little bit of that five seed versus seven seed magic that happened in the women's tournament. UCLA not playing for as much as others, might not be at full strength. I'll take a very hungry Oregon team that knows it has to win to cement itself in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I'll, I'll take them getting to the title game. And I'm going to put them against, against my better judgment, I'll put them against the number two seed, Arizona. Even though I said Arizona's lost a bunch of games, I'll put them against Arizona just because I like Arizona better than I like USC on that side of the bracket. So I'll take Oregon against Arizona, four versus two, for all of the, for all the marbles on Saturday on ESPN. Oh, all right. And you can, you can argue that if you're in Arizona or you, you're UCLA, that the difference, you know, and winning, it gets you a one seed in the NCAAs, losing gets you a two seed. You can argue that you're better off just taking that two seed and going home on Friday or, you know, Saturday morning rather than playing that extra game. You got to wait 24 hours, play Saturday night, you know, and then turn around. And if you get on a Thursday uh, NCAA sub-regional, that rest really can come in handy. And and it's a fine line, I've always thought, between qualifying for the championship game and getting that extra rest. Because it's a you know, it's 24 extra hours in Vegas for one game when you gotta you may have to turn around and leave campus to play on a Tuesday in the NCAAs. Look, if you're UCLA right now, you you go to sleep, uh, you know, and you wake up for the Pac-12 tournament, you're probably already thinking you're a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And if you've got an injury to a key player, how does that factor with the selection committee? If UCLA does bow out in the semifinals against Oregon, does it kill them? Well, what will happen is the committee will, you know, and they have each committee member's got uh, conferences that they they monitor. And they have, I think it's two monitors per conference. you got a primary and a secondary. And they will be in close contact with the Pac-12 and with UCLA all of next week uh, about Clark. So when they meet, um, you know, they start meeting, basically they get, they get deep into it on Thursday, but they will, by the, before they seed UCLA for the, the, at the final point, 
they will have the best uh, call they can make on Clark's availability for the NCAAs, and they will base the seed on what they think is going to happen. UCLA may not know at that point, but the committee will be in close contact with them. You know, worth noting, Arizona uh, AD Dave Hickey is the Pac-12's representative on the committee. He replaced Martin Jarmond, UCLA's athletic director, who was on the committee but got pulled when UCLA announced they were going to the Big Ten. And that's not an unprecedented move. Conferences have done that, made changes with their their member or their representative based on uh, where the school's, you know, a conference affiliation. But, you know, Hickey will know and UCLA will make it clear to the committee what Clark's status is going to be. Keep an eye on UCLA and whether or not they show up with the eye of the tiger in Las Vegas. I, I think we saw a little bit of that on the women's side of the tournament. I think that's why, in part, why you got a five seed against a seven seed. I think that that uh, Stanford and Utah uh, both knew that they they're already in the NCAA tournament. That you know they're going to be high seeds, and I think that was in play a little bit. Now we will be at the Pac-12 tournament this week in Las Vegas. If any kind of news breaks, we were we are liable to. Uh, to create a special edition of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and that you share it with friends. You won't miss a thing if you are. You can read me again at johnkanzano.com. And John Wilner, tell them where to find you. Pac12hotline.com with the Mothership Bay Area News Group. And we are available at media outlets across the Pac12 footprint. Thanks for doing this. We're getting this out a little bit early because we got the tournament coming up starting on Wednesday. Uh, so we will see. Uh, we'll see. I don't think there's going to be huge news this week, but you never know, right? Well, whether there is big news or isn't big news, we're going to have something to talk about one way or the other. Yes, we will. Thanks very much for listening, everybody.